Welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. The international break is over, Liverpool are back and so are we to talk you through to the end of the season in what could be one of the most exciting finishes to a Liverpool season we've seen in recent memory. As always, I'm joined by James. It's been a little while, mate, but how are you doing? Yeah, it's been a, been a couple of weeks. Just glad the international break's over and uh, get ready for the heart attack month that is April because it's going to be a long run with the games coming thick and fast. It's going to be heart attacks every game, I think, uh, pretty much. Um, and obviously, Liverpool have played a couple of games since we last spoke. Um, a 2-0 win over Watford in the Premier League and then a 3-1 win in Lisbon against Benfica in the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinals. We're going to concentrate more on that Benfica game just because it's the most recent one that's happened and we've got a lot to talk about today with that Man City clash on the horizon as well. Um, so as I say, 3-1 win away in Lisbon. I guess you can't really complain too much at the last stages of the Champions League with a result like that, can you? No, I think, you know, to beat Benfica the way they did, um, three goals, especially against a team who, you know, serial get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League pretty much every year. The the remain stay in the competition, uh, obviously knocking out Ajax in the last round, who, you know, has, has got to the semi-final a couple of years ago on a really young and good up-and-coming team and I think for Liverpool to dispatch of them, I wouldn't say very easily. There were some sticky moments yesterday, but I think it was the typical performance of a team who you're expecting to get you know, to a semi-final or, or even the final of the competition. It really was that cliche game of two halves for a little while, wasn't it? Obviously, the first half, Liverpool going at the break 2-0 up and probably should have been more. There was a few chances that, that were missed. Um, and then they get that early goal, from the, the mistake from, from Canate. Um, and like you say, they make it a little bit difficult for us. There's a 10, 15 minute spell, wasn't there really, where Benfica probably looked the more dangerous. But then after that, we settled again and we looked the more likely, I think, as the game went on um, to, get, to get the next goal, and, and which we did through Luis Diaz, which he'll be delighted about given uh, he used to play for, for the, the Portuguese rivals Porto. But how, how do you kind of, summarise the game and how, what do you think Klopp's move will be after that do you think he'll be you know obviously he'll be happy that the, the, the win was achieved or do you think he'll be a little bit disappointed that the tie isn't over already given the amount of chances that Liverpool actually missed I think he'll probably be a little bit disappointed but I, I, don't, I think it's more in terms of the month we've got ahead and maybe being able to rest a few players for the second leg you know maybe be able to give the likes of Salah or even Van Dijk um, you know, just give them a bit of a breather. Any advantage you can get going into a title race and competing on all, you know, all fronts, you know, can only benefit Liverpool. But yeah, I, th- I think it'll just be a slightly disappointing one because, like you said, that first half, I, I think I say it every time with Liverpool, especially when we talk, is first half Liverpool is probably the best performance of the season, and then something, you know, second half and something just changes. Um, but I definitely think I don't think it was more that Benfica played were playing better than us. I think you know the atmosphere that was created there last night. I think that may have got into the players' heads a little bit because um, every 50-50 ball and 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 every little chance that they could get, the crowd were up on them. And listen, it doesn't matter how good of a player you are or how experienced you are. If you've got sixty thousand people screaming against you, it's it's obviously going to make a bit of a difference for you. So I think it was more the atmosphere, but. You know, credit, I think we've said Jurgen Klopp this year has, has probably been a little bit more tactical 
um, this year with his substitutions. Um, sometimes I think in his early days he left substitutions a little bit too late, but bringing the likes of Henderson on, um, Firmino and Jota, players who, especially Firmino and, and Henderson, are going to look after the ball, which is what Liverpool desperately needed going into that final 20 minutes was someone to just get the ball, just knock it along, not to do anything daft, not to run at any defenders and try and, you know, that atmosphere that was building, try and, you know, try and uh, dampen it and, you know, it worked to a T. Yeah, I think that five substitution change that we're going to see coming into the Premier League next season is going to be, you know, really exciting from a Liverpool perspective. Obviously, it's something that Klopp's wanted for a while, but last night was a great example of it, wasn't it, that, you can bring off, you know, three guys off the bench, replace Salah and Mane with Jota and Firmino. With the depth in that Liverpool squad now, all of a sudden looks, you know, a lot better. And and in some ways, it can rival Man City depth-wise. Um, one man who I think all Liverpool fans were delighted to see back was was Naby Keita. Um, at the start of you know, of the week, um, it looked like he was gonna, he was still gonna miss out because he, he missed the Watford game for a for a knock. He picked up on international break, but he went straight into starting eleven last night um, in a midfield that was Kaita, Thiago, and Fabinho. The first time ever, would you believe it, that the three of those have started <laughs> had started a match together, which is absolutely bonkers. I think Kaita and Thiago's combined minutes on the pitch together was only around ninety minutes since Thiago <laughs> arrived um, last, <laughs> last season, which is, which is mental, really. But just how impressed were you by Naby? We spoke at the start of the season about how we don't want to get on the Naby hype train when Max was, was here with us. And uh, I think we had a discussion, didn't we, about whether it might be his last season for Liverpool. But in recent months, he's really, really... I don't want to say came on leaps and bounds because we've already known what he was capable of. He's just displaying it on a much more regular basis. And last night, I think, was probably one of the best performances I've ever seen for him in the Liverpool shirt. That was by far his best performance last night in the Liverpool shirt, mainly because we got it for the whole game. You know, sometimes with Naby, it comes in little spurts. He's he's bright for the first half and then he disappears for the second half or vice versa. And just that ball last night for Diaz is just different gravy. I mean, there's, there's only him and Thiago, I'd say, in that midfield can play that kind of ball that just splits the the uh, the right hand the right centre-back and the right-back. And the timing of it, the weight of it was absolutely perfect. And yeah, I, you know, I think Max gave me and you a bit of grief at the beginning of the season for saying we were ready for the for the Navigator hype train all over again because he did a couple of Cruyff turns against Hertha Berlin in pre-season. But it, he offers something that no other Liverpool midfielder does. He, he sort of does what Ox was doing a couple of years ago, but obviously the injuries have definitely caught up with Ox uh, in terms of the explosiveness of the ball. He could just get it, knock it past the player and continue his run. But like I said, in terms of his overall game last night, I definitely think it was the best performance we've seen from Naby in a Liverpool shirt. Do you think going forward, we're more likely to see that midfield trio of Fabinho, Kaito and Thiago? Obviously, it's something the fans have wanted for such a long time. Um to be Liverpool's first choice midfield, but you know the criticism is that when Henderson isn't in there, you may and you maybe lose a little bit of the balance in the midfield because the criticism that Carter has had is that you know he doesn't necessarily always do his defensive work, which is obviously massively important for that that team with the fullbacks pushing up so high. But obviously, we've only got a very small sample size, and I'm not for one minute suggesting that going into you know a game against Man City, the Etihad, for example, that it's going to He's going to go with this midfield, but there are signs there that 
that midfield can work in the big games, which probably has had a question mark on it since Wijnaldum's left. It almost seems like Henderson has to play every big game because the balance of wise, you're worried a little bit if Fabinho's going to be a little bit exposed and the centre-back's going to be a little bit exposed. But there were signs last night where you could see, OK, this could, you know, next season, for example, could be the midfield that, that is starting more often than not. Fitness, obviously, fitness aside, because you, you know that both Kaita and Thiago have to have their minutes managed. Yeah, I think in terms of technical ability, I think it is Liverpool's best midfield. Um, and it's not a criticism of Jordan Henderson. I think we've seen over the years, and especially since Klopp's come in, that Henderson can spray a pass, you know, 50 yards to, to Mo Salah's feet or to Sadio Mane's feet. And, you know, we did it against United with the flick outside of the of the boot and, you know, Salah goes through one-on-one. But I just think if, if you want the perfect midfield in terms of Fabinho being able to mop everything up, Thiago dictating the play from deep. Obviously, Fabinho can do that as well. And then having somebody who can perfectly link up with that mid, that front three, um, can break the channels um, between the midfield and the defence in the, in the centre of the pitch. I, I, I just think on paper, it is Liverpool's most technically gifted. Um, because as good as Henderson is, um, and you know as Milner, as solid as, he be, as he's been throughout his career, they, they can't take a man on, you know, like, and like Naby can or like, I mean, you know, Thiago's knocking all look passes around like, like it's like it's a training great game, and Naby Keita's doing the same where he's dropping the shoulder and, and and he's flicking it round. And I think if you've got players like that in your team, you know, I think you've got to go with that. Like you said, it's a bit of a we're not going to say throw throw that midfield free to every single game because. Seems like if you sneeze on Thiago or Naby, they seem to be out for three weeks. Um, but definitely, definitely. Um, next season, it is definitely something for Liverpool to think about, especially when you know, we expect them to maybe look at another midfielder in the summer. I think if you have that as your blueprint going forward, then, then it's looking rosy. Another man who returned last night after a bit of time on the sideline was Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, which was a welcome sight for all Liverpool fans. We were a little bit worried about this injury what happened just before the international break because it was a hamstring and we weren't sure exactly how severe it was. But in the end, he only missed two games for Liverpool, the, the um, Nottingham Forest FA Cup tie and, and the Watford Premier League clash. was straight back into the starting eleven again last night and showing, I think, what <laughs> what he can do at his absolute best. I mean, the pass for the second goal, what Diaz got on the end of to, to knock square to, to Mane to make it 2-0 was just outrageous and you know, there's, been, there's always a lot of talk about Trent when it comes around to international time. Um, I think a lot of fans probably thought that Klopp was doing the old Ferguson trick of uh, one of the best better players taking up a knock just for international break so he can't go away of England. And we've debated on this show and other shows and we've heard all over the media about whether Trent can transfer, transfer his Liverpool form and style of play to the national team. But from a Liverpool perspective, we don't really care what he can do for England, do we? Because when he's playing like that, he can miss every international break for the rest of his career for like a... <laughs> that, that ball was absolute filth. I mean, the, the weight of it, the way he hits it first time, it's, it's unbelievable. And like you said, there was this fear, wasn't there, when he first got injured of, it's rumoured to be two to four weeks, and then it was apparently up to seven weeks, and then 
you start thinking, oh no, here we go again. Who's at right back? James Milner, Joe Gomez, even Nico Williams has gone out on loan to Fulham. <laughs> so um, I think as, as soon as, I think it was the second week of the international break where we were coming up to the second game against the Ivory Coast and those pictures of Trent in first team training, you know, you knew exactly what was going on there. It's He might have had a slight knock. I'm, I'm not saying he didn't, but, you know, we're seeing players for the big teams pull out left, right and centre these days um, on, you know, for international duty. Um, At this time of the season as well. At this time of the season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hear it from the United players all the time, like the likes of Gary Neville and Paul Scholes. Oh, you know, Ferguson used to say to them if it was a friendly or a meaningless qualifying game he used to say don't go just say you're just say you're injured and, and stay at training camp and you know like you say with no real depth and cover at that right back position as good as Gomez was the other day you know you want Trent in there week in week out and you know like I'm not not really asked if he plays for England I know he's the best right back in the world I know he's going to go down as you know if he adds another Premier League medal this season and another Champions League you know, I think we could start to put him down as arguably the best right back the Premier League's ever seen. I think his only competition is really Zabaleta and Gary Neville. So, um, and at the age of 23, you know, he's only going to get better. We keep hearing all this of Gareth Southgate trying to play him in central midfield and he doesn't see him as a right back. Just leave him at right back. If your centre-halves are good enough, they'll cover him. Just leave Trent to play right back and, and this is what you get. And arguably, potentially, all around, potentially one of the best players in the world right now. Yeah, absolutely. The thing is, as well, for opposition managers, it must be an absolute headache to try and find a way to deal with that. Because when it's one of the front three, as, you know, as brilliant as those five who go into that front three are, you can, you know, you can double up on a Salah, can't you? You can, you know, you can, you can man mark those players if you really want to. You can. There's just there's kind of defensive tactics that you can deploy. But what you're going to tell people to man mark a right back or like, <laughs> you know, it's there's almost nothing you can do in those situations, which is such a massive weapon for Liverpool to have. And as was evidenced last night with that pass and you know, for set pieces as well, there's a real argument, like you say, to say he's one of the best players in the world right now. And there's been a bit of uh, discussion on social media, I think, recently that Match of the Day, do, they have their podcast and they were discussing the best set piece takers ever in the Premier League. And I think Michael Richards only put David Beckham above him. And at, his, at the age that Trent Alexander-Arnold is now, you think if he has a full career at this level, then he'll absolutely, you know, be that best, the best set piece taker, if you like, or best crosser, or however you want to describe it, who's ever played in the Premier League. Yeah, this is what you like. This is exactly what you're saying. You've got to remember the word right back. This is something that we've we've never ever seen before. We've you know we've seen some brilliant fullbacks in, in even in the last twenty years. Cafu, Roberto Carlos. Um, Zanetti and you know, players of that ilk, but they've never done. Oh, Roberto Carlos was brilliant at, at dead ball situations, but a right back to be putting up the amount of assists and the, he's still chipping in with four or five goals in the league a season. Um, it's it is ridiculous, and I just think like going back to what you said about how do you man mark him? You can't because the way Liverpool play at the moment is Salah and Trent push so high up the pitch that you can't even say there's no cover at right back because whether it's Henderson or Naby or whoever's playing on that right side of the, of the midfield three, they push over to that right back position. So even when he bombs on, there's still cover. And if you get the ball and you try to counter-attack, then Fabinho sat in front of that defence. So 
like you say, you, you just can't really game plan for it at all. And I don't think anyone, I think even himself would admit it when he first broke into the first team. Um, not so much that debut against United, but you know the free kick against Hoffenheim, that really got him in that first team. I don't think anyone would have expected, you know, what what we've seen. It's 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 outrageous for a right back, and you know, all credit goes to the academy because there's always this uh, pressure to buy the next big thing, to buy the next player from abroad, and you know, we see players from Brazil come over all the time and never really make it. So for for Jurgen Klopp to put the faith he has in in Trent, um, just goes to show how how good of a player he is and what a talent he is. Yeah, absolutely. And another man who's absolutely thrived for Liverpool in recent weeks since since he arrived already in January is Luis Diaz. Another goal back in Portugal against, you know, the rival the rival Portuguese team. Um he was getting an absolute dog's abuse all night. <laughs> and <laughs> as you'd expect, um, and as I'm sure he thrived on. And then he gets his goal and he just we've had this discussion before, but it's worth mentioning again that he's just offered such a different dimension to that Liverpool attacking free is a not is another option he probably hooks the touchline a lot more than, than the other guys um and at the same time it brings i think it brings a different dimension out of, of Sadio Mane because he's been playing a bit more down the middle recently and we've seen him add another gear to his game and just how good has he been since he, he joined in January it's been an absolute masterstroke by Jurgen Klopp and and you know the, the backroom staff at Liverpool and the people upstairs to bring in Diaz because you know you go back to the initial reports in January that Porto were asking to, for too much and Liverpool were going to wait till the summer to try and get the, the fee knocked down and then Spurs came in and Liverpool went no 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 we're not risking it now um, so <laughs> to jump in at the last minute and to get him um, just shows what a pull Liverpool have in the transfer market these days but I think. I think we, we've spoke, you know, me and you and Mike have spoke about it earlier today. Um, to still think that we could have a front three of Firmino, Mane and Salah and still have a player with the ability of Diaz to come off the bench, it's it, it's mind-blowing because we just haven't had it. We haven't had a player like him come in and be able to challenge this front three. And it's, it's all credit to himself. You know, he's keeping Jota out, who has arguably been one of Liverpool's most important important players this season. He kept him out last night. Um, and like you say, the front three now, it's making it a lot harder for teams to work out which system Liverpool are going to play because, like you say, Mane drops down the middle and then you've got Diaz to the left, Salah to the right, or you can have Salah down the middle and Mane to the right and Diaz to the left and vice versa. It's it's just adds, you know, different dimension to Liverpool's game and fair credit to him. He's hit the ground absolutely running and He's getting all the plaudits for it. Gary Neville's, you know, heaping the praise on him, saying he's one of the the best buys in the January transfer window, in, you know, for a long time. So, for him to get, you know, the praise from the media as well, which is always harder as a foreign player coming in. Just think it goes to show how well he's been playing. Do you think the signing of Diaz has changed how people view the title race or how people view Liverpool as a team? Do you think now with his, his signing? And the depth that he he now offers, you know, we've seen games with Origi and Minamino not even making the bench at the moment. Um, is he? Does that signing alone make Liverpool favourites for, for the Premier League title? In my opinion, it does because I just think go back to when you asked how Jurgen Klopp would be feeling, you know, the chance for rotation, and and that's what it comes down to. There's 
I know we do have the tougher running than City, but there are going to be games down the line, maybe Newcastle away and and um, Villa away, where you go. Right, I'm gonna, just going to rest Mane for this game, and I'm going to put Diaz in. But you you've got full confidence that Diaz will will put in a solid seven or eight out of ten performance. He's he's kept that up since he's come in, and also as well. When you watch Mane and Salah, when they get the ball, they love to cut inside. You know, Salah loves to cut in and hit it with his left. Mane loves to come in and cut in and hit it with his right. Diaz doesn't. Diaz will take it down the line. He, he will. The ball will be on the line every time he dribbles. And again, going into big games, important games, that have a, a right back not knowing where Diaz is going to be and what he's going to do. Again, different dimension is only going to add more you know, more quality to this Liverpool team. Uh, that, that ability to take it down the line then allows Robertson to come inside a lot more, which we've been seeing in the last few, when Diaz has been playing particularly. Instead of Robertson providing the overlap, the overlapping run that Mane, we're so used to seeing Mane play, play that overlap in and then Robertson whipping or drilling across in. We think we're seeing Robertson in the box a lot more, where he's still, when he's receiving the ball in, in, in the box, he can then, you know, he's a lot closer to the goal and he can then cross to, to whoever's in, in that middle or even, you know, he's got quite a decent shot on him himself. So I think it's likewise, we're seeing a different side of Robertson. So he's kind of, we've almost, we've obviously signed one player, but he's also brought different qualities out in, in two or three others, which is, is great to see. And it's, it can only be a good thing for Liverpool, can't it, going forward. But um, obviously, there's a lot of positives there to discuss and hopefully. You know, the, you can't say that the tie's done, but going into the second leg, we're in a, good, in a really good place. Um, can't really realistically see Benfica winning by two goals at Anfield to force it to extra time or three goals to win on the night. But but you never know, and I'm sure Klopp will uh, be not letting anyone get ahead of themselves. But on the slight negative side, I guess, is um, let's talk about Mo Salah's form a little bit. We mentioned it, I think, just before the international break, but that's still no open play goals since February the 19th. Now, obviously, we're just into the start of April. So just over a month without a goal from open play. A couple of penalties in there. Um, and he's just not seemed quite himself in recent games, whether that's because you know he's played a lot of football this year. And he's had some disappointments in 2022 with Egypt losing in the African Cup of Nations final and then not qualifying for the World Cup. And then obviously there's all the contract stuff going on in the background as well. Do you think it's anything we really need to worry about form-wise or do you think it's just, you know, one of those things that just keep playing him and obviously you just need one to go in and he'll be back to the old salad that we know and love from, you know, the last four years, really? I, I think it's just an accumulation of things and, you know, you've hit the nail on, on all of them there, really. The contract situation, obviously his agent's not helped. You know, that's added another storm to what Mo Salah's after and it's got Liverpool fans talking more about he shouldn't be able to hold the club to ransom and it maybe it's tainting his his image a little bit with the fans so you know he's got that to worry about he's that well, he's worrying about that but I'm not too he's obviously Egypt get knocked out of the uh, World Cup qualifiers he's contemplated retirement apparently from international football and obviously losing the final, which which is massive, you know, in the, in a short space of time since the turn of the new year, it's been quite a lot of disappointment for him. As well as Liverpool have have played 
um, this back end of the season, you know, winning the Carabao Cup. Him personally, you know, I think there's you know been a lot gone wrong for him in terms of international wise, but we're still seeing him get into the right positions. I mean, he could have scored two or three last night. He, he went through one on one with the keeper twice, and you know, Mo Salah on his day doesn't rush it. Maybe tries to cut back in on his left hand on his left foot as we usually see, and you know, it goes in the back of the net, but. I think because of how well he has started this season, you know, he, he started it, you know, all guns blazing. Um, I think as soon as you go, you do go four, five, six games without scoring a goal uh, from open play. Of course, there's going to be concerns and there's going to be questions. But at the end of the day, this is a player who has consistently scored 20 plus goals every season in the Premier League. You know, he's always in the Ballon d'Or voting. Um, and I think his form will just come good. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he scores a hat trick on Sunday, and you know, like he did at Old Trafford, where he only needed a handful of chances, and every single one of them went in. Um, but yeah, there's, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about. I just think there's a few off off the field, you know, situations going on, and then obviously internationally and a bit of disappointment there. But you know, apart from that, like you said, if he scores one goal on Sunday against City. It wouldn't surprise me if he went and scored for every game, you know, every game for the rest of the season, including all the other competitions. So I think, you know, you just got to let him play his way out of the form. John Aldridge, you said, I saw on Sky Sports before, say potentially dropping for the City game. You know, that's just absolute madness. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, definitely, definitely do not do that because you're dropping the world's best player at the moment. And, you know, like I said, let him play his way back into form and he's always delivered. So, Sure, he's going to deliver again. Right, that's a bit. That's a bit mental from John there. I'm not sure what he's what he's thinking. But um, in in terms of the, the the contract situation, officially nothing's really changed in the sense that we know he's obviously rejected that opening off offer, which came before before Christmas. Um, the contract as it stands is due to run out in the summer of 2023, so we've got just over 12 months left. But in recent days or weeks I think the language around the reports which are no by no means concrete but they've just softened a little bit and they've just got a little bit less kind of worrisome in the sense that a few weeks ago um, obviously when the initial report came out from Fabrizio Romano in the, in the Guardian it was very much Sanari will be happy to stay in the Premier League and he won't accept this offer on this this offer that Liverpool have in front of him, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and it was that line, wasn't it, really, that scared Liverpool fans a little bit that he'd still be happy to stay in the Premier League, which really got people on edge. But the last few days, we've seen, you know, on Sunday, the Sunday Mirror reporting that an exclusive that it's all it's basically done. Obviously, it's not the most reliable source in the world, so you take it with a pinch <laughs> of salt. But that's been followed this week by the Egyptian sporting minister in the Egyptian government saying, "Yeah, he's going to stay at Liverpool." <laughs> Again, we don't know how true that is, but it's positive um, news. And, and I just think the language has kind of shifted a little bit from Salah will not accept this offer to try and they're kind of making it more clear that Salah's first choice is to stay at Liverpool. And that has seemed to become the story in recent weeks. And BBC Sport were running a story earlier in the week that, again, saying exactly that, Salah's priority is to stay at Liverpool. And the fact that Either the narrative has slightly changed to Salah's priority to stay at Liverpool rather than the narrative being Salah will not accept this offer that Liverpool have put in front of him. So it just seems to me 
and maybe it's wishful thinking because I'm absolutely desperate for him to say, but it just seems to me that the narrative's changing a little bit more. And the two sides, you know, Liverpool, FSG, Klopp, FSG, Salah, just getting on the same page a little bit. And maybe by the summer or even if it's, you know, next season, some point, it's going to get done eventually. But it's just all the usual media stuff that, like you said earlier, his agent is less than helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his agent's been a bit of a nightmare there, really. Um, Because that gets the fans stirred up. and And then that's what then starts the conversations of who does he think he is asking, you know, when his agents on Twitter and stuff. And it just starts a conversation that doesn't really need to be had in the first place. But I think, you know, the common sense would tell you is where is the better to play for in the world right now than Liverpool? Granted, you'll get more money somewhere else, but Messi's gone to PSG and it hasn't exactly been rosy. Ronaldo went to United for the money and it's not exactly been rosy. Um, Real Madrid seem to be all in on Mbappe, so they're not going to have the funds. Barcelona, who are in turmoil as well with their finances. So, yeah, I've always been confident in the fact that Liverpool are the best option for him. Um, But it's like we keep, like we said um, multiple times with FSG and, and owners that are buying into the Premier League now they're all businessmen um, and Mo Salah might be saying right well give me 450 grand a week it's only an extra 50 grand than what you were offering but then they'll look over the longevity of his contract and how much more that's going to be and you know they do the maths behind it all us fans know straight away just pay whatever he wants if he wants a million pound a week he can have a million pound a week because he's you know by far the best player in the world and he's probably the best Liverpool player apart from Gerrard in my lifetime in terms of consistency yes we've had Suarez and Torres but you know this guy's doing it every single season in all competitions um, so yeah I think like you said the Sunday Mirror I think it's the most reliable um, and it's always nice when foreign governments get involved on player transfers <laughs> and contracts which is just a bit of a strange one um, but I, I do think he will sign Um I think a little bit of common sense from him to look at all the other clubs in the world and think who who can afford my wages, have a look at them, have a look at their squads, see what they're doing in, in their own leagues and in you know, continental tournaments. And then you'll soon realise that Liverpool's by far because, yes, you know we're playing really well at the moment and you're thinking what's going to happen long term. But there's a lot of young players in this team now and this team is only going to get stronger and it's only going to get better. Hopefully, as you say, on Sunday he does the business in what is undoubtedly the biggest game in the Premier League season so far. Um, Liverpool goes to the Etihad on Sunday, just one point behind Man City in the, in the Premier League, which is obviously it's extremely tight. Um, but when you consider that we were at one stage 14 points behind them, I think it's absolutely mental. And it's been testament to Jürgen Klopp and all of, all of the players, really, that they've managed to get that mentality monsters kind of attitude back, which we maybe lost a little bit over the last year or so with for various different factors. But we're at the levels now where it's 2018-2019 season, isn't it? Where we're literally just chasing every every weekend. It's just win, 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 win. And that's all we can do. But this one is different based on the opposition, the quality of opposition, obviously, that the Etihad. We don't have the best record there, really. Um, I don't think Crops won there since 
his first season in charge. Um, and obviously that was not a title, <laughs> anywhere near a title challenging team at that stage of the of the project. But I'm not going to ask you how big it is because it's a silly question, but is it one of those where a draw is okay because you're still just that one point behind? Obviously a win is huge. If you win, it's a massive statement of intent. <laughs> Don't want to say is it winner takes all, but if one of the te- if if, it, if we win or if City win, is that it in your mind? Whoever wins this wins a title, and if it's a draw, it's obviously still open for the rest of the season. And whoever slips up first loses it almost. But if City win or we win, is that then the destiny of the title decided in your mind? Yeah, it is. I think a draw would just. A, it would take 10 years off my life. Um, and, and B, it's just going to be the same build-up to every game every week and it intensifies. And I mean, Sky Sports were already doing a build-up for this game last Saturday, I think. <laughs> straight after straight after the City game, it was, well, who do you think is going to win next Sunday? So that sure goes to tell you how big the game is. At, at this moment in time, for Liverpool... I, I'm thinking it's it's more of a do not lose just at this moment because psychological shift. If if we lose this game, I think I think if we win this game, this may be the pessimist. In me. I think if Liverpool win on Sunday, it's not over. <laughs> but if City win, it is, <laughs> but if City win, it is over. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if you when I say do not lose, is if you look at City's games, and it's, if City win. And you look at City's games, I can't see them dropping four points from who they've got. They've got the likes of Watford, Leeds, Wolves. They've got Villa on the final day. Um, Teams who you expect them to potentially score three or four goals against. Um, Liverpool, granted, have got the much harder fixture list, but those much harder games are at Anfield and are against an inconsistent Spurs team, United team. And the most pitiful Everton team we've ever seen. Everton are very consistent there. (laughs) (laughs) Consistently bad. Um, So, yeah, I think the the more this week, the closer we're getting to this game, the more I am thinking, just do not lose this game. Because even a point, a point is, it's nothing. I don't, don't, if it goes to four points, then I'm saying it's done at four points. Four points with eight games to go. And they've only got to play like Norwich, Leeds, Watford, you know, it's it's a big ask for those teams who, A, may already be relegated at that point, or B, have nothing to play for, which, you know, is, isn't great when you're wanting other teams to take points off City. So um, I think if Liverpool come away with a draw, they're definitely still in it. If Liverpool win it, I think they go on to win the whole thing. I, I I just think the whole psycholo- psychological twist of you know Liverpool did it you know when City chased us down we were eight points clear and all of a sudden we were level on points and even as fans in your head you start thinking well, we were eight points clear so in in the back of the City's players' minds it would be you know we were fourteen points clear and now we're two points behind they've made sixteen points up on us. And then the psychological games come into play. I think it does come down to whoever wins it, takes it. If it's a draw, then, you know... As you were, yeah. Yeah, as you were. And a couple more restless nights up until the end of the season. Yeah. And it's just mental, isn't it, in the way that you think that 
listen to you describe it there and you say, oh, if the gap is four points, then we've got no chance, which in years have gone by, four points is absolutely nothing, really. It's like one win. But the standard is just so much higher since Guardiola and Klopp. It's both of them, to be fair, you know, very different circumstances. But you've got to say that both those guys have raised the level of this of the Premier League so high that anything other than winning, like with the year when we won the league, where we won pretty much... <laughs> every game until that Watford one or maybe one one draw or two draws or something, whatever whatever the case was. And it's like, if you don't win every game, you, you're screwed. Like, you've lost. Like, I remember earlier on in the season when we were drawing games, uh, we drew a game at home to Brighton when we were 2-0 up. You know, at, the, at the end of the season, if we've, if we've lost the league by four points, games like that are going to be so frustrating looking back on, aren't they? Yeah, it's going to be games. There's, there's that game, there's the Tottenham game. Um, where you come back from 1-0 down and you're winning 2-1, then you, you can see the goal and then you're 2-0 up away at Chelsea and then Chelsea draw 2-2. And it, it, it will be these little slip-ups that, that do come back to haunt us. But like you said, these two managers at the moment, like very different circumstances. One's had the money, which is fair to say. Yes, they've recruited well, but they've had a lot of money. Um and I think if you go back to even as, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Ferguson or, or Wenger or Mourinho in the early 2000s, but 70, 75 points would get you a league title back then. Now you need a 90, you know, on average, it's, it's between 90 and 100 points the last last couple of times teams have won it. It's so, crazy. so crazy. It, it, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, you're looking at Chelsea with title contenders at the beginning of the season. What are we, like 18 points clear of them, 19 points clear of them? So yeah, that was never it's... realistic, really, I don't think. I think at the time, you can see why people thought it. Tuchel's a great manager. They brought in Lukaku. Everyone thought, well, he's going to, you know, he's obviously going to score 20, 25 goals a season. But whatever external factors <laughs> have happened there <laughs> and then the, the stuff with the club being sanctioned, etc. But I don't think it was ever ever really going to happen that anyone other than us and City would be to the tight race. I mean, looking back at the some of the pundits' predictions at the start of the season, but I'm pretty sure Jermaine Beckford didn't even have Liverpool finishing in the top four at the start of the season. <laughs> I mean, you look at the, is it the BBC one that they put out? I think that's it. That's what I've seen it from. Jermaine Beckford. Uh, and there's apps. Yeah, everyone's got City and Chelsea winning it. United to finish third or second. And like pretty much Liverpool to finish fourth, um, it's, it's just laughable. Um, but go back to it the way these two managers have, have set the bar as good as you know, individually that United squad is with Ronaldo, with Pogba, with um, Varane and Sancho, and, and all these players. If you don't have the right manager, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, and both of the you know, the directors and the board at the clubs trust Pep and Klopp with every penny, with every decision. Um, and, you know, it's come back to reward them. But I do definitely think that you, you're looking at the two, possibly, I know there's been other great teams, but if, if this goes on for another two, three years of consistently hitting 90 points, I think you've got to take the medals out of it. I think you've got to start looking at these two as, as the greatest Premier League teams of all time to hit four, to hit 90 points like five years in a row, five out of six years in a row. It, that, that's just ridiculous. I think how many Premier League titles would have been won in, like you say, the early 2000s, not late 90s, etc. It's just 
fundamental. But clawing it back a little bit to, to Sunday in particular, team selection-wise, funnily enough, usually in years gone by when we're doing team selection stuff and chatting on the podcast about who's going to play the weekend, the front three has always been the easiest one to call. Um, but I actually think this time around, for the last few weeks, the, the team kind of picks itself up until the front three. You, you, I'm pretty confident it'll be a usual back four. Matip will go back in for Kanate. And then I think Henderson will probably come in for Kaita as the big game midfield with Fabinho and Thiago. And then the front three is the one that's got a bit of a question mark on it for probably the first time I can ever remember. Usually it was always Firmino, Salamane, religiously. Jot had changed that a little bit. But now it's like, take your pick. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. And, and it goes back to that squad depth, I think. Every player that's sort of the likes of Jota and Diaz who have come in to sort of break into that front three, whenever they've been given a game, they haven't disappointed. They, they've always played to a high standard. So there's a case of happy enough for them to play any game. Because like I said before with Diaz, you know you're getting a seven or an eight out of 10 every single week. You see in Dia, um, Jota with 14 goals in the league this season. And then, you know, you're seeing the way that Firmino's been playing the last couple of weeks and he's looking absolutely sublime again with his first touch and the way he's holding up the ball and the way he's winning the ball back. It's it's a brilliant position to be in, but it must be a headache for Jurgen Klopp just because of how many options he's got. Um, but I think you've, you've also... Got to be careful a little bit that if the game isn't going right for Liverpool, you don't want to you, you you want to be able to to have faith and to know which players are going to come on, what the system's going to change to, and I just think you know that's what maybe Liverpool need, needs to think about a little bit more is what if the game isn't going right for Liverpool? How do you want the team to go forward then? And I think that'll probably make his mind up. What, what would you go with then? Um, for me. I think obviously Salah stays in, of course. Whatever John Aldridge might might say, <laughs> and I think I think Firmino has to start this one. I think what he brings off the ball is absolutely massive against a team like Man City, who just will pass you to absolute death. I think you need that press. You need him to drop back into midfield and do the dirty work, which he does better than anyone. So I know he might not be the most popular or the most flashy of the of the front five guys at this moment in time but I think he could play have a massive role in this game so for me I'd definitely go Firmino and Salah and then Diaz and Mane it's a toss of a coin really I don't think you play Jota in this one purely because if I'm nitpicking out of all of those from five I think I've said it to you earlier he's probably the most wasteful in possession which is what you don't want against City you need to absolutely maximise every single time you have the ball and just occasionally he might misplace a pass or he'll have a mental shot from outside the box that just soars right over the bar or He's just a little less careful with the ball than, say, Firmino, for example. So, for me, it's, I wouldn't start Jota. Um, and that it would be Salah, Firmino, and then Diaz or Mane, which I just can't really can't really call between them. Uh, what about yourself? Um, I mean, like you said, we did speak before, and, and I said Mane, Diaz and Salah. But after some careful thinking, um, I, I, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with... The originals, the last dance. Let's uh, let's go for it one more time. Um, go roll with the ones that got you there. I think Salah has to start 100%. Um, I agree with the Firmino. I think you, you're very naive to go into this game thinking that Liverpool are going to have 
you know, it's going to be 55, 45% possession. It's not, you know, City are probably going to have about 60, 65% possession and it's, they're going to, like you say, try and pass us to death and it's all going to be trying, Liverpool trying to win the second balls and, and trying to counter-attack them. And, um, you know, we've seen Firmino do it a couple of times against City. I, I don't quite think they have his his number marked. I, I, I do think, he, you know, he does tend to have a pretty solid game against Man City. Um and then I'm go- I'd go with Mane on the left. The only reason I'm going with Mane is if it's not going right, then you bring Diaz on who offers what what Mane doesn't. So, you know, Kyle Walker going into this game or Cancelo or whoever's playing in this game, playing for right back at Manchester City, knows going into this that Mane's going to get the ball, he's going to cut inside. If Liverpool are 1-0 down or it's 0-0 with 15, 20 minutes to go and you're... Jurgen thinks, you know what? Let's just go to, let's just go for it, and let's just say we try. Let, let's have a real go. You bring Diaz on. Cancelo doesn't know, or Walker doesn't know what's happening now. And like you said, it adds that freedom for Andy Robertson and Thiago if he's playing on that left-hand side of midfield. Um, I'm yeah, I'm just thinking more about the substitutions later on in the game. I think that front three of Mane, Salah, and Firmino. Is you know it's it's still as much as they get an older and you know for me you no know, Mane's form has been questioned over the last eighteen months. Um, I still think they're the best front three in football. Um, and this is the luxury we're in. If things go wrong, you throw Jota on, who's got fourteen goals in the league, and you throw Diaz on, who's who's hit the ground running. So, I think going into this one. Um, you, you've got to look into that final 15, 20 minutes and work in the game be won. And I think the game can be won on us having more options coming off the bench going forward. Yeah, fingers crossed and we'll see what happens, obviously. April's massive, as we've already said. This is probably April's biggest week in the sense that we played City twice this week in the Cup and obviously the second leg of the Champions League. Um, we'll go into more detail on those games next next week. But if I was to ask you now, Obviously, it's a bit of an awful question to ask for any two games, two games done in the month. But how many trophies do you think Liverpool are going to have in the cabinet come come the end of the season? Uh, um, if it's just one, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> I'm, I am going to stick my neck on the line. I'm going to say four. He's gone for it. Yeah, dirt a dream. Um, I think, like I said. Whoever wins this on Sunday, I think wins the league. If Liverpool win it, I definitely think they've won the league because the momentum carries on. Everyone says you've got the tougher games, but we've got them at home, um, which is obviously a big factor with Anfield. Uh, there'll be an atmosphere for all those three games. Um, in the FA Cup, you're only two games away from winning it. Um, and Manchester City in the last couple of years haven't got past the FA Cup semi-final and it's a game about confidence and if Liverpool win the game and then they go into this game, confidence is flying and then the Champions League, we've definitely been put on the on the better side of the draw. Um, I think we've got one foot in it after beating Benfica. We've got to see how Villarreal at the time of recording do against Bayern Munich tonight, but I definitely think Liverpool can beat either of them over the two legs. Um, I don't think this is the same Bayern Munich team of a couple of years ago. I think they've got a little bit older. Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach beat them 7-0 earlier this season, so I definitely think Liverpool can score against them. Um, and then you get to the final, and I don't think there's a team better equipped for a 
you know, a 90-minute game of football than Liverpool at the moment. They've got the defence, they've got the attack. Um, they've got the nous now with how to play in finals. They've, you know, they're starting to win finals more frequently instead of getting there and losing. Um, game management's significantly improved, which is what you need for cup football. So win this game on Sunday, I think they went all four. Don't win the game on Sunday. And I think you're looking at the Champions League and the League Cup. Is it a big game? I thought we've got two, we've got three trophies on the line in one match. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit uh, less optimistic than you. I think it's hard to say. I don't think we'll win all four just because it's so unprecedented. Um, not to, you know, obviously that doesn't mean it, it's never going to happen. Hopefully it does. Um, I'm going to say we'll win three. I don't know what they are. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what three they will be. Uh, I'll take the Premier League, Champions League, and the League Cup though. Uh, <laughs> but yeah we'll see but that's all for, for this week's show um, obviously our nerves are going to get absolutely shredded over the weekend um, and I'll probably ask you this exact same question on the next show to see if, you, <laughs> if your opinion's changed or if you're even more confident in, in that one but James thanks for your time as always mate no problem always good to speak to you Paul uh, we'll be back very soon um, with more Liverpool content until then you can catch us on Twitter Anfield underscore central and on our website, amphilcentral.co.uk. Thank you and goodbye.